everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, then let me just welcome you and say that I am so sincerely glad that you're here with us today. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So let's begin today by doing a quick exercise that I hope will be helpful. Um, I want you to imagine that you are physically in the room with the Lord, that you can physically see Jesus with your eyes. It may be helpful to close your eyes to help you focus as you do this, um, unless you're driving, in which case I would encourage you not to close your eyes. But whatever you got to do, just imagine that you are physically in the room with Jesus and you can see him. And so here's the question. As you look at him, and as he looks at you, what is the expression that he has on his face towards you? And what is his posture towards you? Is he smiling? Are his arms stretched open? Is he stern? Is he frowning? Does he look irritated or annoyed or frustrated? Are his arms crossed? Is he not even looking at you at all, but just like not, not even looking in your direction? I mean, and we could continue on with examples. Is it something else entirely? But as you envision the Lord and how he feels towards you, what comes to your mind? A.W. Tozer has a quote that you may have heard of before, uh, may have heard before. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our idea of God is going to impact every area of our life. And so we, with this exercise that we just did, it's like, as we envision, it's like, what do we think that the Lord actually feels towards us? What is his expression towards us, his posture towards us? I mean, depending on what we thought, we might be right, we might be wrong. But it's very, very important that we're growing in our understanding of how the Lord actually does feel towards us and what he does think towards us. It's so important um, for us to understand this because it will just drastically, I know drastically impact how I live. Think about it. If in, if in your mind you think, okay, Jesus, when, when Jesus looks at me, there's a smile on his face versus when Jesus looks at me, there's a look of annoyance on his face or, uh, well, Jesus doesn't even look at me. Like if you were to think those, just those three thoughts right there, think about how that would impact pretty much every area of your life, the way you make decisions, whether you're walking in joy and peace and freedom or fear or things like that. And so we see that these different, you know, these different understandings are going to impact our lives drastically. And the interesting thing is if you were to take a group of Christians, a group of genuinely born again, Christians, and put them in a room and say, hey, how does God feel towards us? What, what is God's, you know, how does, how does he feel towards us, his people? You could quite possibly get a lot of different answers. And so then the question is, well, you know, which one is right? And, uh, and that's a crucial question. That is a vitally important question. And uh, it's a question that we really need to devote time and prayer in seeking the Lord about. Now, Quickly, just as a side note, you know, I I talked about being in the room physically with Jesus there. There may be someone listening who would think, well, if I were in the room with Jesus, this is how I think he would feel towards me in the facial expression. But but if I were in the room with God the Father, it would be different than that. And I would just want to caution against that and to challenge that and say that, you know, Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
If we want to know what God the Father is like, then we look to Jesus and we look at him. He, being God, is the perfect representation of God. He reveals God perfectly, like 100%. He reveals God clearly to us. And so, I mean, whether we're thinking about the Father, Son, or Spirit, any of the members of the Trinity here, um, there needs to be uh, consistency in how we think they feel towards us. Because, um, because like I just said with Jesus, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. There's consistency there. So here's the thing with this exercise and just even what we're talking about in general about God's, um, how he feels towards us and, and what he thinks towards us. None of us come to our relationship with the Lord with a blank slate or as a blank slate. Since I know one is born a Christian, um, and even if you're, you know, even if you're born again, very young, if you, if you become a Christian very, very young and, um, and, uh, believe in the Lord very young, born again, um, even, even then you've already begun to form an idea of the world and relationships. And we can very easily, and I would say pretty much almost always, if not always do carry these things into our relationship with God. And it begins to paint how we see our relationship with God and how we think he sees us and his, in in his heart towards us. And it really is uh, the lifelong adventure of coming to know God more and more as he is, as opposed to just how we think he is, is the lifelong adventure of every Christian of coming to know the Lord more and more clearly and to see more and more clearly his heart toward us and what he thinks and feels towards us. So let me give you an example from my own life. And um, let me just say at the outset that I think that um, many people will be able to relate to this example, but there will certainly be many who it doesn't quite connect with necessarily. And that's okay because let me just say, this is just an illustration of what we've been talking about so far. This is going to be an illustration of how, um, our view of how God views us impacts us and also the impact and power of having a wrong view on our thoughts, emotions, and, and lives, really. So I came to realize, I believe the Lord showed me that I had been trying to control the Lord. And how had I been trying to control the Lord? It was something I was blind to. At least I, at least I didn't see things as clearly as, uh, as I do now after he show this to me, but now so many dots connect and, and things have become so much more clear than they were previously. I try to control him with my behaviors and this is how I try to, how can I even say this capturing it to live in such a way as to control how God feels towards me. I will try to live my life in a way to control God's emotions and thoughts towards me to try to keep God happy with me, to try to prevent God from being annoyed with me or frustrated with me and possibly even becoming aloof from me, right? And so I would try to, with my behaviors, control his emotions and try to keep him happy, right? Now, you can probably see just from that simple description of what sort of things, what sorts of things that that thinking will lead to, for one, it'll lead to a lot of fear. It'll lead to a lot of fear that, oh no, what if my behaviors aren't good enough? Or what if I'm not doing enough to keep God happy with me? And he's slowly becoming irritated with me and um, and so on and so forth. It'll also lead to legalism, 
which is, you know, going to be stemming from fear as well in this instance, where it's like, okay, I'm so afraid of doing something that would in some way, shape, or form displease the Lord that I'm going to be super legalistic, super rigid, and place a yoke on my shoulders that is far heavier than the easy yoke that Jesus promises us in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, right? Um, these are just some of the forms that's taken, and... Uh, and so there's been there's been many times where I've just had these, you know, like recurring fears of God getting frustrated at me or that I have that I am somehow unintentionally not doing something he wants me to do or doing something he doesn't want me to do. And my wife, Lacey, has so wonderfully and kindly um offered so much helpful reassurance in this process. Cause like I said, this has been very recurring in, in different forms for a long time, but I came to see God showed me, I'm trying to control the Lord's heart towards me. I'm trying to control what he feels and thinks towards me. And honestly, um, I, I began to see as well that I, that I've done this in many different other just, uh, human relationships as well. Um, and, you know, all this stuff stems from fear, of course. So, but what's the point? I, well, for one, I can't control the Lord. You can't control the Lord. I mean, no one can control God. God does whatever he wants to do, right? He's not, he doesn't answer to anybody. Like he is the most high. Think about that phrase, the most high, a common phrase applied to him in the scriptures. And the implication is there's no one higher. He's the most high. And so he um, can't be controlled. And I began to realize this is like, okay, all in this, this has been kind of unfolding over the past few days. So, you know, I can't control the Lord and I can't control his heart towards me. All I can do is receive from him. And this led me to Matthew 5, 3, where Jesus said the first um, of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this idea of being poor in spirit is being spiritually destitute, saying, I don't have anything that I can actually offer to God. All I can do is lower myself and receive from him. That's all I can do. All I can do is open my heart, open my hands and receive from him. And so this is where the incredible news is. I don't have to maintain his love and I don't have to try to keep him happy with me because these things are freely given to me in Christ Jesus. I mean, listen, the Lord, I mean, the Lord, he loves people. I mean, for God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John three sixteen. Now, and of course, I mean, for, for, for someone who has not yet, um, truly placed their trust in Jesus, truly believed in him, their sins, they have not experienced forgiveness of sins, right? And so, um, unless they, uh, unless they really, you know, believe in the Lord and repent of their sins and all of that, then, then, you know, they will still be, be guilty of those things. We did an entire podcast episode on the gospel, I believe it was episode 24, and I'll put a link to that where we go into um, all of that and, and how one is born again in even greater detail there. But for those of us who have believed in him, who are born again, who, who truly um, know the Lord, we've been adopted. God is our father. I mean, I'm not going to read these verses right now, but you could look at John 1, uh, 12 and 13, or Galatians 4, 4 through 7. And so let's just think about the fact really quickly, God is our father. He's our father. And let's just think about my example. In my example, I was making myself responsible for God's emotions, which I am not. I'm not responsible for, for God's emotions. Um, 
but think about this. Think about this. Just think about a human, like normal parent-child relationship. You would, if there was a, a relationship where you could see, wow, the child in this relationship is responsible for their parents' emotions, like they are, um, they feel a measure of like, oh no, if I don't behave in this certain way, then my parents are going to be aloof. They're going to withdraw their love and all this sort of stuff. And listen, I'm not talking about discipline right now. I'm not talking about, and of course, you know, negative behaviors, um, are going to lead to discipline. Uh, you know, Hebrews 12 talks about how the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and anyone who does not receive the discipline of the Lord is not his child. I mean, Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And uh, actually later in Proverbs in 29, 15, it says the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And so I'm not talking about discipline because what is true discipline driven by? True discipline is, uh, is driven by love, according to the Bible, because it says that in Hebrews 12, that the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And so that's a different matter. That is a function of being a, a good, wonderful parent, but that is not making a child responsible for one's emotions. You see, that's different. That's unhealthy. That is a load that a, a kid can't carry. And, um, and that will, you know, um, and, and it's, we're talking about a function of that would be conditional love right there. And so we say, if we look at a human relationship and say, okay, that's not healthy in a human relationship, then why on earth would we think that our perfect father, our perfect heavenly father would interact with us that way? There's no way. That's not how God interacts with us. All we can do is receive from him because here, listen, the Bible says, for example, in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think that my thinking, which, you know, again, this is just an example. Maybe you can relate to it, but it reveals that I just you know, still have much to learn and a lot to grow in this area of understanding what's true of me in Christ Jesus, that I am a beloved son of God in Christ, that if you're born again, you are a beloved son, you are a beloved daughter of God in Christ Jesus, that when he looks at you, he smiles. You know, I think about when the little children were brought to Jesus. Again, we're just trying to know the Lord here a little bit. But this is just kind of a side note, but I just want us to see how beautiful the Lord is for a moment. Um, the little children, I'm going to use the example of Mark, uh, because one thing I love about the gospel according to Mark is that if you read it, you're going to notice that it gives a lot of detail about the emotions that Jesus feels. And um, and he, um, even the other gospel accounts, which are describing the same accounts, for example, will not necessarily include that detail, but, but it happens a lot in Mark. So in Mark, whenever the parents were bringing children to Jesus, right, it says, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 10, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And listen to this. Listen to verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Just envision that. Envision like this scene, Jesus just scooping these children up into his arms and just blessing these children. And let me say this. Parents out there, what kind of person... Do you want holding your child? Like, 
If Jesus was cold and harsh and mean and all these things, it's like, you're not going to be like, oh, here, hold my baby. No, that's not the kind of person that you're going to hand your baby to. And furthermore, that's not the kind of person that children are going to run up to, is it? No, like this, this reveals so much. But the thing is, Jesus did get angry in this passage. He did. But who was it at? It was actually at his disciples. It says he got indignant. He was angry at the perceived injustice. And what was the injustice? They were hindering little children from coming to him. And so that right there was a little brief exercise of what we just did, where it's like, okay, let's learn a little bit more about the heart of God, a little bit more about what he's really like. And so just this whole thing, can you just envision him scooping children up? And again, he's not going to have a frown on his face when he's doing this. He's probably laughing. He might be tossing them in the air and catching them. I don't know. But it says that he took them in his arms and he blessed them. Does your idea of Jesus fit what the Bible says about him? Do you realize that the same arms that held those children are extended to you as well? Remember, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And so, okay, so coming back. Okay, so the the whole point, so we actually just did what we just did right there, and that was kind of um, off the cuff a little bit. But that was uh, an example of the very thing that we're talking about here, which is we have to make sure that our understanding of Jesus matches the Scripture. That our understanding of God actually matches the Scripture. And I just want to point out as well, even though Jesus you know, became, you know, frustrated with the disciples. Was his love withdrawn from them? No, not at all. He taught them. He said, don't stop them from coming to me. Let them come. And so his love was not withdrawn. And so we just need to make sure that we have a good understanding of, um, of the Lord and his heart towards us. So, you know, we just did a little bit of an exercise right there. Let's go to Psalm 139. Um, Let's check out Psalm 139 and do this, a little bit of this exercise together. So what, what exercise am I talking about? Letting the word of God and, and truly and ultimately the spirit of God inform us about what he is like, what he's actually like, as opposed to the stuff that we bring into it, as opposed to what we just hear other people say and so on and so forth. And so Psalm 139 we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, we will we'll read the first 12 verses, but we're really going to focus on verses 1 through 6. So, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue... Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
And so that was Psalm 139, 1 through 12. And so let me just ask you a question here. Are those verses just sterile, impersonal descriptions of the reality that God knows everything and is everywhere? Are they just sterile, impersonal affirmations of his omniscience and his omnipresence? No, they are not. These are not just sterile descriptions of attributes of God. This is the description of God relating to his people. This is deeply personal and intimate. This, and listen, are you born again? Then this is how the Lord is with you. Are you not born again? You can be today. You can begin a relationship with Jesus right now. Right now. And again, I... I would encourage you, I'll put a link to it, episode 24 of this podcast entitled The Gospel. Go check it out. So let's just look at this. I mean, let's just go back to verses one through six. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. That was one through four again. And so look at this. It's like, look at the absolute, I mean, just attention paid here. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. God, you know all these things. You see it all. And so again, this isn't just some cold impersonal affirmation of the fact that he knows everything. And, And what is the point here? What is the... Why is this? Is it so he can get us? Is he watching all these things looking for us to trip up and fall? And I would just say, that is absolutely, I mean, that is not the the feel of this passage. And to even strengthen that further, let me show you this. First off, back down in verse 6, it says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's wonderful. But in verse five here, it says, you hem me in behind and before. And we're going to come back to that phrase. He says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Now, this whole idea of laying his hand on us, like I want to talk about this very briefly because I think this really helps us to understand the tone of this passage. And so when you hear of someone laying a hand on you, that could mean a lot of different things, right? For example, when I used to work at a coffee shop, (laughs) I don't remember what I did. But I mean, I, I'm sure it was silly or dumb or something. Cause I just remember my boss, <laughs> he just, he said to me, he's like, I just have to remember sometimes that legally I can't lay hands on you. That's what he said. And I'm, and I'm thinking, yeah, let's, let's remember that. Let's remember the fact that legally you can't do that. So it's like, okay, so what, what exactly was he suggesting a pat on the back, a high five? No, I think that I had done something that probably really frustrated him. And, uh, and he was thinking about throwing down. I don't know. But in any case, so is that is that what's in view here? Is it like the Lord's going to lay hands on me like that? Well, how wonderful that later in the passage that we just read, this description talking about God's hand is mentioned again, and it really helps us to understand even better what is, um, what's being talked about here. So if we were to look back down... Um, So then it it transitions into this passage in verse 7 where it talks about, no matter where I go, God is with me. I can't escape your presence. You are always with me. You pay, basically, what we just read is, God, you pay close attention to me and you're always with me. You remember um, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? So, but listen down here. Um, I'll just read verses 9 and 10 again. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, now listen closely, even there, your hand shall lead me. 
and your right hand shall hold me. So coming back up here to verse five, where it says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. What was said later in this passage? What is his hand associated with? Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It's associated with leading us and holding us. Do you see? I mean, this is, this is highly personal. It's just, it's, you, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. In fact, the New Living Translation um, uh, translates verse 5, which I just quoted again this way. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. So, I mean, if we're going back to this envisioning us in a room with Jesus, can you, can you picture him stretching out his hand and placing it on your shoulder, looking you square in the eyes, and just smiling. Can you can you envision just that kind of love from him? I mean this 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 passage makes me think about Psalm 23 and we're going to come back to Psalm 23 in just a moment as well. But Psalm 23 where it says Um, Of course, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, beginning in verse 1, but then verses 2 and then the beginning of verse 3 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Think about that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So coming back to Psalm 139, I want to show you something cool. Um, Super cool. I think it's super cool. Uh, So back in in verse 5 here, where it says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Um, Different translations have it this way. So the Christian Standard Bible translates that as, You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. And I kind of like that. You have encircled me. I already read the New Living Translation that says, You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. The New American Standard Bible says, You have encircled me behind and in front and placed your hand upon me. And the New King James Version says, You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. So really cool here. So this idea of whether whether it's the phrase uh, encircle or like hem in, like you hem me in, um, you go before me and follow me, uh, you hedge me. This word, this is so cool. It is um, it is a word that is frequently translated as besiege, to besiege. Now that's a word that you have probably not used today, but maybe you have. And if so, good for you. So what does it mean for a for someone to lay siege to a city or to besiege a city? Well, it's the idea of here is an attacking enemy army attacking the city, right? So it's, it's, an, it's an enemy coming to attack the city and they have surrounded the city and they are just lying in wait and waiting it out. They have surrounded the city so no one comes in and no one goes out, um, in, in times of war, they might do things like cut off the water supply or just um, try to, you know, some sort of find some sort of breach in the wall to storm the city. And so it's a this is military term that's used to surround. And so we're like, now, wait just a minute, Christian. I thought you said this was positive. And, the, and, and this is the word that, that is used. The Lord besieges me. But look at the rest of the verse. It says, right, it says, uh, you hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. 
Um, and we saw that this hand is associated with blessing, with leading us, with holding us. I'll tell you what this is. This is an amazingly beautiful inversion of this term. It is it is using a term that normally has like a negative sense, a, a wartime sense, but to describe God's presence. So imagine it. It's like you're like a city and God has surrounded you on every side. But what is the purpose? To destroy you? No, to lay his hand upon you. That he is in front of you, behind you, beside you, on all sides. He has surrounded you with his love. And what's cool, and I said we go back to Psalm 23. And so at the end of Psalm 23, we see something actually really similar to this. And I think this is cool as well. And so we're going to do this as well. So the end of Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, again, note the tone of Psalm 23. It's very tender. It talks about the protection of the Lord, how he's our shepherd, how he meets our needs, how he provides everything that we need. But it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Interesting thing. So the word follow is very similar to, to him, to him, me in, in the sense that it is a military term that often has the idea of to run after or pursue. Now think about it. If a military, like if an army is pursuing another army, why? It's to overtake them and destroy, conquer them, right? And so, the, again, this is an interesting word, isn't it? To use this to describe God's justice, or not justice, God's, um, it says, uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So it's this weird kind of juxtaposition here where you have this term that's normally associated with warfare, and yet it's associated with things like goodness and mercy. Um, or maybe your translation says, goodness and steadfast love. And so what's the idea here? The idea here is your goodness and mercy hunt me down. They chase me down. Your goodness and mercy follow me. They run after me. They pursue me and they chase me down. And so I wrote in my journal, this little phrase is taking both this and also the verse from, um, from Psalm, uh, one, 139. I wrote God's goodness and mercy pursue me and his love besieges me. Isn't that amazing? Does your picture of how God feels towards you match with what these scriptures say? I mean, all this time I'm talking about being afraid that I'm going to somehow mess up the Lord's love for me. And here the scriptures are saying his love is besieging you. It's besieging you. It's surrounding you. His goodness and mercy are hunting you down. You don't have to carry the weight of keeping God happy because Jesus did that for you. And you're in Christ. And now you get to walk in freedom and love. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Isn't it cool? So, but listen, how do we really experience this more? I hope what we just did with Psalm 139 and Psalm 23 were meaningful exercises for you. I, I, I hope that your heart was touched uh, through this process. That's not something that I can do. That's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. Um, but it's something that the Lord wants to do in us. Um, so listen, how do we do this? How do we, well, in reality, we don't do this. God does this in us. God is the one who just, you know, woos us and draws us to himself and shows us more and more what he is truly like and just dismantles and tears apart these false ideas that we have of him until we come to see him more and more clearly. And we just get to experience 
his love more and more fully. And again, I already talked about the discipline of the Lord. This doesn't mean that he doesn't correct us when necessary. Of course he does. This doesn't mean that people just go on sinning indefinitely and, you know, whatever. I mean, to be honest with you, the more clearly we know the Lord, the less someone is going to want to sin anyways, because you just, you just, why you, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the more that we see him and see his love for us, the more that we're going to love him. Like it says in 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us, right? And so, yes, of course he will discipline us and correct us. But, I mean, even the form that, you know, this takes, it's like the, the Spirit of the Lord will convict us and and he will help us. I mean, it's it's not accusatory. And like I said, even his discipline is a manifestation of his steadfast love towards you. But so how, how do we position ourselves in a self, uh, in a position to, let me try that sentence again. How do we position ourselves so as to experience this with the Lord? Well, let me just say, you just need to be in his presence and let him speak to you. And so, okay, thanks, Christian. That's intangible. How do I do that? Because I'll say, it's not just reading your Bible. You can read your Bible without actually spending time with Jesus. Although if you're spending time with Jesus, the scriptures are going to play a major significant role. So um, how do we do this? For starters, we need to be still and quiet. We need to turn down the noise. And yes, that will include, you know, hopefully recurring daily times that we have set aside with him, uh, but also throughout the day. Think about your time with Jesus, for example, in the morning, whatever you spend it, like as a date, as it were. But then throughout the rest of the day, you're hanging out. You're spending time together. The totality of a relationship isn't just going, like if you're if you're in, for example, with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, the totality of your relationship is not just going on dates, but those things are crucially important and that should be happening regularly. But there's so much stuff that happens between those, so many interactions that happen where you just do things together. And so, yes, you need to, I mean, we need to be still and quiet before the Lord and just spend time with him in those what have, you know, historically been called quiet times, but also just throughout our day. Are we aware of his presence throughout the day? Do we talk to him throughout the day? Do we bring him into things? Do we realize that wherever we go, that he is with us? Like he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That when you go to the movies, that when you go to a coffee shop, that when you go to the gym, that when you're working in the yard, when, you know, doing whatever, he's with you. And so, um, that's, that's an important first step. And then just to ask the Lord, just genuinely in prayer, show me what you're like. Please show me what you're truly like and dismantle these wrong ideas. Psalm 16, 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you're seeking the Lord's presence. Psalm 27, 8 says, You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. In fact, listen to... I mean, actually, before I read that, the footnote there for seek, because you might be like, well, David was talking and this is a specific command from the Lord to David. And no, that's not true. Because listen, there's a footnote. I'm reading the ESV footnote and it says the command seek is addressed to more than one person. So you have said seek my face is addressed to more than just David. But will your heart likewise respond? My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Listen to how the New New Living Translation puts this. I love it. It says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Isn't that beautiful? That's amazing. So, okay. Um, So here's the verse that I really want to uh, briefly talk about. 
So Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And so we have this um, description in Psalm 139, even Psalm 23 of the Lord pursuing us. And yes, the Lord pursues us. Um, he, like it says, I mean, you hem me in behind and before you're before me, you're behind me, you're beside me, you encircle me. And, uh, and you know, the, the Lord initiates that pursuit. However, we have a role to play. Notice what Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And so we have a responsibility in this process. We do. And, um, so it's our responsibility to do our part of setting the Lord always before me. And so how do we do this? What does it, what does it mean to set him before me? to turn your eyes upon Jesus simply to be consciously constantly aware of his presence with you to do the best to pray without ceasing and to just have a running conversation with him all day long not to leave him you know not to go meet with him in the prayer closet at home as it were and then leave him in there it's just like no he's with you everywhere do you see it are you aware of it because in the presence of God, we're changed. An encounter with the Lord changes us. Hearing from God will change us. In fact, I recently in a, in a podcast episode talked about 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. It's the whole thorn in the flesh passage with Paul. And uh, in fact, let me just read part of it. Well, I'll read 8 and 9 really quickly. It says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Notice the 180 that Paul did there. Before, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But what was the turning point? It was the fact that Jesus spoke to him. But he said to me, a word from the Lord will complete, it completely changed Paul and his outlook in this. And the same is true for us. And so what am I inviting you into right now? Exactly. Because I, I'm inviting you into hearing from the Lord and letting him consistently, daily, ongoingly correct your views of him. And I'm in, 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 our role in this is to keep him before us and to realize that he's with us everywhere we go. And if there's some area of your life or some behavior that you're doing that for some reason you can't think, oh, Jesus is with me in this, like I don't even want to think about Jesus in this situation, then that's a major red flag and is worthy of some prayer um, investigation of, on your own part and even probably asking some friends for counsel. Because it's like, well, what what is it that you don't feel like you can bring Jesus into and, and what does that reveal? That's a different conversation, but it's worth mentioning here. So um, I'm inviting you into a life. I'm suggesting that you lean into a life of continual fellowship with Jesus. And that's a life that I long to live too. And something that I'm trying to, you know, by God's grace, cultivate. Like I said, this is praying without ceasing. This is a life of being aware that God is constantly with you. And even like Again, having the right understanding of God when he shows you something about himself to continue to think about that. Like just I had to think about this. He, you know, you hem me in behind and before to say, Lord, you go before me. Like start talking to him, sharing, like repeating back, you go before me and you go behind me. You lay your hand of blessing upon me. Your goodness and mercy pursue me. Our relationship isn't the the maintaining our relationship isn't on my shoulders. It's on yours. Jesus has done this. I can just receive from you. And if I somehow, some way get off or am doing something that is not in line with your will, I believe that you'll correct me, but I'm just going to live in the freedom of your love. 
Guys, that's revolutionary. So you might have heard before of the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll wrap up with this and a few more closing thoughts. It is a book um, about um, the the life of uh, a guy who went by the name of Brother Lawrence. He was a, a monk in the 1600s in France. And this book is, you know, we call it a book. It's really kind of a compilation of uh, things written about Brother Lawrence and then uh, a bunch of his his letters and correspondences that had been sent. And in this book, The Practice of the Presence of God, he talks very much about the, of what we're talking about, this constant awareness of God's presence. And he talks about how whenever he realizes that he had lost that awareness, he just, he didn't beat himself up. He just kind of returned to the Lord and refocused on God. And so there are, um, uh, this is, again, practically what it means to to walk with the Lord. You want a relationship with him and you want to hear from him. It's like you don't want just a sterile relationship with his word that's actually devoid of the spirit of God because people can read the Bible and be really dry. But what we're talking about now is talking to God and hearing from God. And the more time goes on, the better you will recognize his voice and, and also bring other people in this process with you. I mean, just like as you think you're hearing from the Lord, um, it's always good to bring other people um, into the conversation and uh, and bounce things off them because God will also speak through his people. It says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice, Proverbs 12, 15. So. Um, but, so, Brother Lawrence, let me just share with you two quotes from this book. One, the first quote is written about him, and the second quote is written by him. But listen to this, and I quote, Brother Lawrence felt it was a great delusion to think that the times of prayer ought to differ from the other times. Isn't that cool? Brother Lawrence felt it was a great delusion to think that the times of prayer ought to differ from the other times. And so what's he saying? It's like <laughs> your whole life should be one of prayer. And what, what is what is this? Not just like rattling off a list of, of things you need. Yes, that's going to be part of it. Absolutely part of it. I mean, the Bible talks about, I mean, this is what the word supplication means or, or petition, where it's like we're asking God for something, to do something, to act in some certain way, certain way. And the Bible is full of examples of that. But that's not the totality of prayer. It's like this is, we're talking about being in God's presence a part of which is, you know, asking requests, but just being with him and knowing him better, seeking his face. You know, you, you might have heard the phrase before, seeking his face, not just his hand, seeking him, not just what he can provide, right? So Brother Lawrence, I'll say it a third time, Brother Lawrence felt it was a great delusion to think that the times of prayer ought to differ from other times. And now I want you to hear from Brother Lawrence himself, one thing that he wrote, and this is, listen to the words that he uses here. These are the words of a man who is clo- who was close to God, who who practiced what he preached here, and he he really sought to live in the constant awareness of God's presence. And listen to just his description of the Lord, and you can even just feel the joy bubbling over. And uh, I quote: "My King is full of mercy and goodness. Far from chastising me, he embraces me with love. He makes me eat at his table." He serves me with his own hands and gives me the key to his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly in a thousand and a thousand ways. And he treats me in all respects as his favorite. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? And I want to suggest to you, I want to say clearly to you that that sort of relationship is not 
I mean, it's not beyond your grasp. You can have that sort of intimacy with God too. I can. I want that. Like, I really want this sort of relationship where I'm so aware of his presence, where it's not just about me knowing a lot of Bible verses, but I just know God so much, and I love his word because I love him, and I spend time in his word because I want to hear from him, and I just, you know, not even falling into the trap of just trying to check boxes. So, um, so we do have access to what we're talking about right here, like what we just read with Brother Lawrence, but what I'll say is this, if we want to experience what he experienced, then we need to do what he did. It's kind of like if someone is in really good physical shape and you say, wow, I wish I were in good physical shape, but you're not willing to go to the gym, then why should anything change? It's like, no, if you want the results, do the same thing. And so what did he do? He actively cultivated this awareness of God's presence. And as God, and, and so as we do this, God's going to show us himself. He's going to reveal himself to us more and more. And, you know, and this doesn't, of course, this doesn't mean that things are going to be simple all the time. I mean, of course not. I mean, life is still going to have trials and difficulties, but you, I, but you'll just be so aware that you're not going through them alone. Just like where Jesus says, yeah, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Right. And just knowing that he's left his peace with us, that he is with us. That, like it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Will not be shaken. So you can have this. And you guys, this is what we're made for. We're not, I mean, God didn't, you know, save us just for us to do a bunch of things. Does he partner with us? Yes. Does he work through us? Yes, absolutely. We see that all through the scriptures and we actually come to know him better as he does that and works through us and partners with us and in, in the things that he's accomplishing. But God didn't doesn't need us to do anything. I mean, did he need us when he created the world? Well, seeing as how we didn't even exist yet, the answer is no. You know, when he created everything. And so Acts 17, 24 through 25, this is what Paul says. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So you're made for relationship with him, and he loves you so much. He loves you enough that... I. Think about the gospel. Jesus came to die on our behalf when God would have been perfectly justified in just condemning us all because the wages of sin is death, right? You can have this life. This is what you're made for. But remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your hands are empty. Just open your palms and turn them heavenward and say, Lord, I'm not going to try to control you. I'm just going to receive your love. Please help me. Please speak to me. And then turn down the noise. Set the Lord always before you. Incorporate more silence and solitude into your life. Not isolation. Isolation is not healthy, but solitude. Temporary times of withdrawing for a purpose this, uh, of seeking God. Very healthy. Jesus did it. And so, um, I mean, I, I could continue to go on. Uh, but I think the point has been made. And I hope um, I hope that this has been encouraging to you and that it is somehow that the Lord has spoken to you through this. So thanks so much for joining. Um, I just want to talk about the Bible is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, uh, which means that any gifts given are tax deductible. And so if you feel so led to give, instructions on how to do so can be found in the footer of every episode description. And thank you so much to those of you who have already given. And so um, as we wrap up, I just want to pray for you guys really quickly. So let's, let's pray and then we'll, then we'll call it a day. Lord, thank you so much 
for everybody who's listening right now. Lord, I know that every single person listening is dear to you and you love them so much. And Lord, no matter where they are, if they are yet to put their faith and trust in you, or if they have already been born again and adopted into the family of God, Lord, I just pray that you show them right now in this time, your love for them in a new way, how much you love them. And Lord, I pray that you just begin to dismantle wrong ideas that we have about you and that you replace them with the truth and help us to walk in intimate fellowship with you each and every day. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, um, until next time, God bless you.